morning, church. For those of you that haven't met me yet, my name is Ryan. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And I tend to not cry in public, um, but this morning might be a test of that. So we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Um, man, this morning I just feel the weight of the tasks that I've been given. I've been asked to preach peace in a season that for so many of us doesn't feel very peaceful. Um, for those of us that life is going as good as it's ever been, let me remind you that Christmas is next week. So even if you're in a season where life is great, you probably have gifts to buy and parties to go to and rooms to clean. And if you're anything like me, even in the best of circumstances around Christmas, it can be stressful, it can be overwhelming, it can be filled with anxiety. But chances are, for many of us, life isn't going as good as it could possibly go. As a matter of fact, Christmas often accentuates some of the most difficult circumstances in our life. Christmas often reminds us that loved ones that we wish were here are not here, that family units that once were together are no longer together. Things that we never set out to be true are true, and we're reminded of the fleeting nature of peace. I feel the weight of that this morning. But I believe with all of my heart what the Scripture says is true, that there is a peace that passes understanding, that is available to each and every one of us this morning, no matter your circumstances. No matter the difficult circumstances you might be facing right now, there is a peace that is available to you. And I've wrestled with that this week, and I want to extend that to you in a way that's accessible, that's not shallow, that's real. And so let's Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be with each and every one of us to communicate His truth to us in a way that's accessible and real for where we are this morning. Father, I pray that over this room, Holy Spirit, come into the chairs of this room, into the individual's hearts and minds of this room. As I preach what you've given me to preach on peace, may it be received at the individual level. May your believers know that peace is available to them no matter the circumstances that they're in. May people who are not yet sure where they stand with you or if they even believe that you exist, may they realize that through submitting their life to your leadership, they might receive a peace that passes all understanding no matter the circumstances they face. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, that was heavy. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Uh, how many of you are people that like to change your own oil? Do me a favor, raise your hand if you're a change-your-own-oil type of person. Or if you're the spouse of a change-your-own-oil type of person, raise your hand. Awesome. Love it. Um, I've mentioned many a times from the stage that I'm not a handy person, that I'm not good at doing handy things. But even, even I have changed my own oil a few times. Uh, even I have been able to do that. But when we moved to Virginia, our garage is, like, tiny. Like, my car barely fits in our garage. So I gave up on the changing of the oil. And I go to one of those rapid lube places. You guys know what I'm talking about? The three, four, five bay garages. They drive you in. They drive you out. They change your oil. You know what I'm talking about? 
You also know that they always try and upsell you on like everything that you could ever not need. So they try and sell it to you. And I'm like, I always, I, I'm, I'm a peace keeper. I don't like to say no to people. And so they're trying to sell me an air filter that I know I don't need. I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. One time I was at a rapid lube place and they actually offered to align my tires. Okay. I'm, here's what I know about rapid lube places. If you've ever worked at one, no offense. Not the type of people I'm going to trust to align my tires. I trust them with my oil because here's the reality. If they screw up my oil, my engine might blow up. If they screw up my tires, I might blow up. Right? And so there's like this level of trust where I'm like, hey, you can change my oil, but please, please do not change my tires. And the reason I share this illustration with you at the beginning of a message on peace is because I believe it gives us a helpful framework for where we're headed in our message. Because as I studied this, this idea of peace in the scriptures this week, ultimately I realized that peace is about alignment. That true peace comes from our alignment in life. When we are aligned with the creator of the universe, we can experience peace no matter the circumstances. But our alignment is dependent on who we trust with the leadership of our lives. And some of us are trusting ourselves or other people or circumstances with the leadership of our lives. And we're never going to experience true peace. There's always going to be a level of alignment that isn't there. But ultimately, if we want true, lasting peace that comes no matter the circumstances, it's all dependent on who we align our lives with. See, in the Bible, peace isn't just about the absence of war, but it's about the presence of something better. It carries with it this idea of complete wholeness. Actually, in the Bible, it can be used, the word shalom, peace, it can be used to describe a rock wall that's perfectly aligned without blemish. It's, it's as the designer intended it to be. If I had to define peace, biblical peace in my own words, I would say this, that biblical peace is the experience of creation in complete alignment. Peace is creation in complete alignment. Any of you ever really felt this deep in your soul? This might seem like an ambiguous definition, but for me, it's like a few days into a beach vacation when everything's going right, when I have enough money saved up for the vacation and everything is going right. There's no stress or difficulty. There's no relational tension, and I sit by the waves crashing on my feet with my loved ones, and I experience this feeling of peace. doesn't last very long, but I've experienced it before. You guys know that feeling that I'm talking about? If we're honest, that feeling often is very fleeting. It doesn't last for very long. It can feel like grasping after dust in the wind. The reason that this is the case, I believe, and most of us in the room who are followers of Jesus Christians, we believe that the reason that moments like this don't last very long is because we believe that creation has been thrust out of alignment. Adam and Eve in the garden, they chose to rebel against God's original design, his creation, his alignment for creation. Everything was good and very good in the garden. There was relational peace. 
There was provisional peace. There was spiritual peace. It was all aligned as God intended it to be. And Adam and Eve, in a moment, rebelled against God, and it thrust all of creation out of alignment. Scripture says that creation groans and humanity wars as a result of that rebellion. And you and I, we all experience that same rebellion. We've all made an active, intentional decision to rebel against the creator of the universe. And because of that rebellion, our peace is fleeting. It's like grasping at dust in the wind. We have moments and glimpses of it, but it's impossible to possess for any time at all. Sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Anybody else depressed yet? Well, here's the good news. In that moment, when creation was thrust out of alignment, the God of the universe began a process of restoring all of creation back to Shalom, back to complete alignment, the way that he intended it to be. It was a process that is going to take way longer than you and I ever would have designed it to take. But it's a process that is perfect. And his goal is to restore all of creation so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This process of restoration started the moment that it was thrust out of alignment. God promised to Eve that through the seed of a woman there would come a son who would crush the head of the serpent. It started with promises to individuals and covenants with groups of people. It grew into the establishment of kings and kingdoms. And the funny thing about the kings and kingdoms part is that wasn't God's plan either, but we continued to rebel. The nation of Israel said, we want a king like all of the other nations. And God says, no, you don't. You want me to be your king. I'm your king. This thing will work better if I'm in charge. And they said, nope, no, thank you. We want a king like all the other nations. And so God continued his perfect plan, even in the midst of their rebellion, he established kings and kingdoms. And this process seemingly drug on for thousands of years until the entire plan came into focus in a single night in a little town called Bethlehem, where a child was born, a son was given, a son who would take ownership of the culmination of his plan of restoring peace to all of creation. He would do the hard and sacrificial work to establish a new type of kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that will continue to expand and bring alignment to individuals and churches until one day he will return again and finalize his everlasting kingdom and creation will be realigned once and for all and that feeling of peace will be all that we will ever know. And I am preaching far better than you are responding. Come on. This, this plan has been started, and we've seen glimpses of it all throughout our lives and all throughout history. And I know what you're thinking. Ryan, that's a really inspirational story, and I believe in it, and I'm excited for it, but what about now? How do I experience peace now in the midst of creation thrust out of alignment? How can I experience peace when my desire to sin is so overwhelming? When so many of my relationships are broken, when I can't pay my bills and my loved ones are suffering, how do I experience peace in those moments of my own lust, 
selfishness, anger, fear, disappointment? Where is peace found in all of that? I'm glad you asked. Because that's the rest of my outline. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm chapter 23. This is not a passage that often gets read at Christmas time, but I think it's a perfect practical explanation of how you and I can experience peace in the midst of even the most difficult of situations and circumstances. Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1, David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. David, one of the greatest, greatest poets of all time, is writing his explanation, his poetic explanation of what peace feels like. It feels like green meadows, peaceful streams. This is David's version of my beach vacation. You guys hear this? This is David saying, this is what peace feels like. And he starts out in verse 1 by saying that that this peace comes from us trusting the creator of the universe with leadership of our lives. He says, Yahweh, Lord, is my shepherd. Creator God is the one that I follow. And when I follow creator God, Yahweh, he lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. When God is the leader of my life, I experience peace. The more I studied peace this week, the more I realized that true alignment is based on who it is that is in charge of the alignment. And the same reason that I don't trust the Rapid Lube guys to align my tires is the same reason that you and I shouldn't let anyone or anything have leadership of any area of our life other than the one who made us and who knows what is good. We know this. It might seem like an obvious answer, but it isn't that simple. We might all agree intellectually with this statement. We might all say yes and amen, but what happens between a pew or a seat at church on Sunday and tomorrow afternoon? What happens? Life happens. Obstacles get in the way of our peace. Things don't go the way that we think they should be going. And we say, whoever's in charge of my life right now, they don't get to be in charge anymore. I'm going to take back control because this isn't working out the way that I thought it should work out. We, we don't often, I, I don't often have people over to my house because it's very far away and I feel bad asking people to drive over the mountain through the woods to Pastor Ryan's house we go. That's what it feels like. Um, and so when people do come over, I try and make it a fun experience. They have a big bonfire. I've got a side-by-side. And um, the last time people were over, we had a group of young kids, and I was letting them kind of kind of drive the side-by-side around the property. Um, and one of my favorite children, Corbin Smith, um, kid is good at driving. He's grown up driving stuff, go-karts, lawnmowers. Like, he, I've got some trust in him to take the wheel of the side-by-side. And so I was letting him drive the side-by-side around and honestly paying less attention to him than most of the kids because he has experience. He knows what he's doing. But there was a few moments when we were accelerating faster than I would like and we were heading in a direction that I wasn't really thrilled with and I had this urge in me to do what? Take the wheel. 
I was like, no, buddy, we're not going there. We're not doing that. Slam on the brake, jerk the wheel in the other direction. I share this illustration with you because I think that this is such a clear picture of what we do in our everyday lives. We're headed in a direction. Circumstances are happening in life that we're not comfortable with. Situations are going on around us, and we say, God, I trusted you yesterday, but I'm not sure what you're doing today. And we grab hold of the wheel, and it's in my pastoral opinion that this is the cycle in our life that keeps us from experiencing true spiritual peace that passes understanding. We're following God, and things are going well, and then something bad happens. And we decide the whole following God thing isn't working out anymore, and so we're going to take back control. And, And if we're really honest with ourselves, don't we make it worse? We make it worse, but in the moment, the temptation is, this isn't working out the way that I thought it was going to work out, so let me take back the wheel for a little bit. I'll give it back to you. I'll let you have leadership of my life later once I figure out all of this stuff going on. Once I get myself back in alignment, then you can have control. We make it worse. And David knows this, and he tells us of some obstacles to our peace, some obstacles that make us want to take back control of our life. In verses 4 and 5, he's going to say that circumstances, difficult circumstances, and enemies are the two main obstacles that rob us of our peace, that make us want to take the wheel back from God. When difficult circumstances come into our life or when enemies surround us, look at how David says it. He says it better than I would. He says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. David says, sometimes following the shepherd leads you into dark valleys and difficult circumstances. Sometimes following Yahweh as your shepherd and leader leads you through dark valleys, difficult circumstances, sickness, relational stress, financial stress, failures at work or with your kids. Things just pile up and they make you feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death. We often follow the shepherd until it starts to get dark and difficult, and then we grab a hold of the wheel. Financial stress. We panic. We stop being generous, and we start to worry and fear, which often leads us to overwork. Or the opposite. We have crippling anxiety about what in the world we are going to do, and so we can't even move. So we self-medicate. Whatever your form of self-medication is, you know. I know what mine is. You know what yours is. This is what we do when financial stress comes. When relational stress comes, we feel hurt, so we get angry. We lash out against or avoid the people that we love. Again, self-medication through screen binging, substances, whatever it might be for you. Physical stress. We get diagnosed with a sickness that is out of our control. The baby that we've been praying for for years never comes, and we get angry with God, and we start down a path that leads to bitterness and resentment. And before we know it, our hearts are so hard towards the one who created us and loved us and wants to lead us through this dark valley into greener pastures and besides still waters, but we can't get there because our hearts are so hardened. 
spiritual stress. We fail as a friend, as a spouse, or as a parent. We're crippled with shame and regret and self-hatred, so we do the same thing Adam and Eve did. We hide from God. We know that He can't stand us. He must be so angry with us. We believe the lie of the enemy. Or, we do the opposite. We try and put on a good religious face. We try and pretend like we're better than we actually are because we know if God's mad at us, maybe we can convince our Christian friends that we're more spiritual than we actually are. And this is the cycle that throws so many of us out of alignment. Difficult circumstances arise. And although we confess with our mouths that we trust God in reality, we take that control over our lives and we make it worse. Romans 8 verse 6 says that the mind governed by the flesh leads to death. When we trust our own flesh, our own desires, our own feelings with the government, the leadership of our life, it leads to death. But the mind that is governed by the Spirit leads to life and peace. Who is leading you through these difficult circumstances? When the valley of the shadow of death finds its way into your life, the response is not to stop following the shepherd. The response is to remember that the shepherd is the one who at first led you beside still waters and into greener pastures, and to know that the shepherd has a plan through the valley to get you back to greener pastures. No promise it comes on this side of his return, but he has a plan. And we can trust him. And David knows this. David was a shepherd. David had led flocks of sheep beside green pastures and through, and, and beside still waters and into green pastures. And he also had led sheep through dark valleys because he had a plan to get them to the next green pasture, the stiller water, the bigger pasture. God has a plan. And David knows that it's in the valley of the shadow of death that we're tempted to take back control. But he knows that it's in those times we remind ourselves that God's rod and His staff, they protect and comfort us. I don't know what valleys might be facing you today, but I believe with all of my heart that the Lord is a good shepherd who wants to lead you through those valleys to greener pastures and beside still waters. And again, it might not come in the timing that you want it to come. But it will come. Difficult circumstances are one obstacle to our peace. The second obstacle to our peace is enemies. David says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the second biggest obstacle to our peace. And I know you guys are all more Christian than I am. You would never admit it. You guys, none of you in here have enemies, right? You guys are too Christian for that. I have some enemies. Both physical enemies and spiritual enemies. Individuals who have betrayed you deeply. Some of your closest friends, the people that were supposed to be the safest people have betrayed you. Bosses have taken advantage of you. Dri uh, neighbors drive you nuts. 
You have people all around you that are trying to rob you of your peace. And on top of our physical enemies, we struggle with spiritual enemies. The Bible says that the enemy of God comes to steal, kill, and destroy your peace. We have enemies that often surround us. And what happens when we have enemies that surround us? We want to take back control of our lives. God, you're not handling this person the way that I would want you to handle this person. seems like they're not experiencing the justice that you say you're all about. I'm the one experiencing the pain. There's no justice for them. So why don't I take back control just for a minute, and I'll show them what justice feels like. And then I'll let you have control back. Anybody? No. That's not how peace is experienced. See, David is writing both as, yes, a shepherd, but David also has had the experience of being a king. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. A king is the only person that can prepare a feast in the presence of enemies. The people all around the nation are looking around and they're saying, we're surrounded by enemies. We've got to start rallying. We've got to Rally the troops. We've got to get in position. And oftentimes the king knows, hey, we've already got a plan figured out. We're going to have victory over these enemies. You might not see it, but I know things that you don't know. I have access to information you don't have access to. So I can throw a feast in the presence of your enemies because I have a plan for victory. And David says, this is the type of king we serve that even when we feel like we're surrounded, And there's no hope to be found. There's no victory to be had. He says, trust the king who has a plan. The king knows what you don't know. He has information that you don't have. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. You can have peace in the midst of being surrounded by your enemies because God ultimately will bring about justice. Maybe not the way that you would bring about justice, but I promise you it's going to be better. Maybe not in the timing that you would bring about justice, but I promise you it's going to be better. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is our king. This is his plan. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When all hope for peace seems lost, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, when we're surrounded by enemies, the response is not to take back control. The response is to trust yourself to King Jesus, who has overcome spiritual enemies and will bring about ultimate justice. He's going to restore all things to the way that they should be. One day he's going to wipe every tear from your eyes. There'll be no mourning, there'll be no sadness, there'll be no death. In Advent, we often talk about we light a candle because it's Jesus has come and partially established his kingdom, but one day he's going to establish it. And that day when he wipes away every tear from our eyes, it's no longer going to be a little flame. But the Bible says that Jesus, the presence of Jesus, will replace the sun. No more need. For the sun or for the moon, Jesus will reveal once and for all what creation was meant to be. He will bring it to alignment. Enemies try and crush us 
some joy. I, I think the worship set just perfectly encapsulated this entire message. And I asked Donovan specifically to sing another in the fire because I wanted to quote this verse in Daniel chapter 3. When a couple of people who, if you grew up in church, you probably know them lovingly as, um, what is it, Shadrach and Benny? Is that who it is? Rack Shack and Benny, there we go, Veggie Tail people. These people of God, God's nation had been ripped away from their homeland and been taken into captivity by enemies, by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king that was against the things of God and against the people of God said, you are going to have to bow down to my leadership. Forget the leadership of this God of Israel. Bow down to my leadership. Enemies. Surrounded by enemies. And this is what the response was. He says, if if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And this is the response of a few godly people who realize no enemy can rob me of the peace that God has for me. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you on this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. These people, surrounded by enemies, they had faith to believe that God would provide victory for them in this situation. But I love the next verse. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. This is an example for us of what it looks like to submit to the leadership of Jesus. Even when we're surrounded by enemies, we trust that he's going to have a breakthrough in this moment, in this situation, that he's going to provide victory from our enemies here and now. But even if he doesn't, we know that he ultimately will. And so we walk into the fire knowing that surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love how Hannah Whittle Smith puts it. She says this, In the secret of God's tabernacle or God's presence, no enemy can find us. No troubles can reach us. The pride of man and the strife of tongues find no entrance in the pavilion of God. People that are much older than me, just have a better way of using words than I do. The pavilion of God, it's incredible. She says, I do not mean that no trials come. They may come in abundance, but they cannot penetrate the sanctuary of the soul. We may dwell in perfect peace in the midst of life's fiercest storms. Let me tell you what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did God deliver them from the furnace? No. He went with them in the furnace. His deliverance was his presence in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Believer, if you're in here and you're struggling for peace, I don't know exactly what it looks like for you, but I believe that the presence of God is what you need most. Yes, he can deliver you, but even if he doesn't, his presence is enough. Genuine biblical peace, that alignment that we were intended for, it comes from submitting ourselves to God, both as shepherd who leads us through difficult circumstances and king who prepares a feast for us in the midst of our enemies.
experiencing peace on earth in the midst of trials is all about who we trust with the leadership of our lives. We're going to start to conclude by reading the message, the verse that I'm supposed to read at Christmas time about peace. Isaiah chapter 9 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his leadership, his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdoms, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9 prophesies of the original promise that God made to Mary, or that God made to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to send the son who's going to crush the head of the serpent. The son has been born. He has established his kingdom, and his kingdom is expanding. His government, his rule is expanding and will continue to expand until one day he returns once and for all and sits on his eternal throne, establishing peace and justice forever. This passage has already begun to be fulfilled. An infant born in Bethlehem, and a couple thousand years later, you and I sit in this room in northern Virginia. It's his government. It's his reign expanding. Two billion-plus Christians are a result of this baby being born in Bethlehem. Not because he was just born, but because he would live a perfect, sinless life. And he would die in your place for your sins. And, and, and all of that is beautiful and wonderful, but it means nothing apart from an empty tomb. He had victory over sin, death, and the grave. Victory over any difficult circumstances you might have. Hebrews says that in every way he understands the difficult circumstances and trials and temptations that we face. And yet he did not sin. The moment creation was thrust out of alignment, God began his plan for realignment. And it would find its climax in the birth of Jesus. The seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent has been born and his kingdom has been established and is expanding. Will you trust him with the leadership of your life today? It's your only hope for true and lasting peace in the midst of a broken world. This is what the Christian life is all about. Daily submitting every area of your life to the leadership of Jesus. Daily becoming far more patriotic to the kingdom of God than any kingdom this world has to offer or any kingdom you might try and build to yourself. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate some baptisms. Baptism is such a perfect way to end this message because baptism is a picture of these individuals telling you publicly, I'm submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus, the leadership of Jesus. He has his way in every area of my life. We as a church, we've baptized two different ways, and both of them are symbols of us bowing in reverence and submission to the leadership of Jesus. When we baptize people forwards, they're saying, I'm bowing my life in submission to 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we baptize backwards. They're saying, I have died to my old life, and I've been raised to new life in Jesus. Both pictures of submission to the leadership of Jesus. So if you're in here and you've never submitted your life to the leadership of Jesus, I invite you to do so today. In your chair right now, if God is drawing you to himself, getting at your attention this morning. May you, in your chair today, say, Jesus, I invite you to have leadership in my life. If you are brave and you want to make that decision today for the first time, come up and get baptized. We've got clothes. We've got towels. We've got you covered. If you feel the Lord drawing you to submit your life to his leadership for the first time today, come and get baptized. If both of those things are too intimidating and you're not sure you fully understand what this whole thing means, come afterwards. See me, see Pastor Matt, see one of our leaders. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to submit your life to the leadership of Jesus. Follower of Jesus. You ready for your toes to be stepped on? Because I'm stepping on my own toes here. What area of your life are you holding on to the leadership of? What areas of sin are you refusing to let God work in? Is it your finances? Is it an addiction? Is it bitterness or unforgiveness? Is it some area of selfishness in your life? Ask God to reveal to you what are the areas of your life that you're still holding on to the leadership of your life? Many of us, we're in the midst of the darkest valleys and we're surrounded by enemies. And it feels hopeless and chaotic and our natural urge is to grab hold of leadership of our life. I plead with you this morning. Don't buy the lie of the enemy that says you're a better leader. Jesus is a better leader. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. May we submit our life to his leadership. Um, after my prayer, I'm going to ask those of you that are being baptized to come forward. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. I ask the worship team to come back up and lead us in this song, Another in the Fire. I think it's such a, a great response to what we've heard here this morning, that, that we might walk through dark valleys. We might be surrounded by enemies, but God will meet us. His presence will dwell with us in the midst of the fire. God's presence will be with us and His presence will bring us peace no matter the circumstances of our lives. So we're going to actually do something different. We're going to worship while we baptize. Worship is a celebration of what God is doing and has done. It's us praying to God and receiving His blessings over us and it's celebrating what God has done in the individual's lives who are coming up to be baptized. We're going to stand, we're going to worship, we're going to sing, and when we baptize people, if you don't yell louder than you're going to yell at your TV later this afternoon when your favorite team scores a touchdown, then maybe, maybe you need to let God take that leadership over in your life. May we celebrate this morning 
new life in Jesus, renewed life in Jesus, peace that passes understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the peace that you offer us, for the leadership that you give to our lives. Your kingdom has been established and will continue to be established until one day you will return and make everything right. You will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no pain or mourning, sickness or sadness. We will only know the experience of creation and alignment with your design. God, but until that day comes, may we cling to your presence in the midst of our darkest valleys and when we feel like we're surrounded by enemies, may we experience your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.